Uh, thank you for that introduction, Andrew. And uh, it's, it is a, a privilege to be able to share with you guys. Um, I was probably more excited to, to come down and, and see you face to face, but uh, this will have to do. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll kind of dive right into it. And um, I know that you're probably muted everyone now, but um, if, you, if you're like, no, I really want to ask a question, then apparently that's how you guys do things. So please feel free to, to chime in if, if you'd like to. Um, I've, I've been tasked with the topic of enlarge your soul through grief and loss. And, um, and I think it's because uh, that's primarily the kind of series of talks that I've kind of done in other settings um, around concepts of grief and lament. Um, and I, if I, if I go back, particularly to when I began um, working as a chaplain in a small school, I never at the beginning would have thought that I um, would need this so much, would need um, to develop a theology and, and an ideology and a framework around what do we do when, what do we do with our faith and what do we do, what do we think God does when the wheels fall off of life? Um, um, but I did, I did need that. And I, um, I still do. I still do. In fact, I, I will say just in, in preparation, uh, for, for today, just this week had some, some news of a friend who's, um, he's a little bit older than I am, but he's still, he's got a young, uh, adopted 13 year old boy and he's been diagnosed with a brain tumor and don't know what, I need any more than that. It could actually be benign. He's at Gosford Hospital right now having some more tests done and um, just got the news of that yesterday and, and was in the middle of, of course, of preparing a talk for today. It's just so aware of what was going on in my own heart dealing with that news um, and the weight of that and just what, what, what comes over us when, um, when we're interrupted by really bad news. And in the scheme of things, uh, there's way worse news um, for me personally, right? It's not my brain tumor. It's not, uh, it's one of a friend, but you carry that weight. And, um, um, and, and so it's kind of out of necessity that I think we do need to develop a framework for suffering. Like we all have to answer that question. Like, what do we, what do we do? Whether we're a follower of Jesus or think, you know, a person of faith, we're, we all have to answer the question of, of um, why does suffering exist? And then what do I do with that when I'm faced with sometimes unspeakable um, pain? Um, and so I, I want to share a few ideas this morning and at least acknowledge at first that um, you may look at the title of Enlarge Your Soul Through Grief and Loss and have the response that I did when I um, kind of came across that, particularly with regards to emotionally healthy spirituality a couple of years back. And I, part of me was just like, no, no, sorry. The, the, the cell of enlarging my soul was just not worth um, dealing well, I think, with grief and loss. Like, like if, yeah, I'm just not going to tick that box. Um, and um, and I still I still notice that in me. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wonder if it's worth it, you know, 
the the promised maturity or the the enlargening or depth deepening of my soul still probably isn't enough to to sell me on will my willingness to kind of face really really difficult things um, um but for me i i'm an apprentice of jesus so aside from a friend of andrews and a, a husband to um natalie and a dad of three teenage daughters uh, I'm, a, I'm still a teacher uh, and I get to do spiritual formation retreats with with Jeff and Andrew. Um, uh, I, I'm still working out after 20 something years of what it means to be apprenticed um, by Jesus, uh, particularly facing difficult things. And so I actually I actually love what uh, what Viva Church has on their website about this person, Jesus, because I actually think it's just a beautiful frame framework for approaching all of life, not even not just say suffering and grief and loss and how we process that, but all of the fullness of life. And so for those of you who don't perhaps read it regularly, I thought I might just quickly uh, read what you guys have on your website. Um, for more than two millennia, Jesus has fascinated, perplexed, divided and united billions no serious historian contests or contests that Jesus lived, but who he was exactly has been a lightning rod for debate and devotion. Jesus was deeply aware of the tension that his life drew, but he led conversation with those who were following him toward the tension, not away from it. He asked his followers, who do you say I am? He didn't want formulaic answers. He wanted them to speak honestly, freely from the heart about what they discovered and what they actually thought. Jesus was always sparked, has always sparked questions in people then and now. Um, there are libraries full of brilliant literature around the processing of pain and loss. And I don't pretend for a second to be an expert. Um, I feel like what I've what I've gained are just picking up kind of scraps along the way of life. Um, in part because no one gets away unscathed, right? We're all we're all at any given moment faced with a whole range of challenges in our lives from. The, the frustrating and mundane ones, like getting stuck in traffic or whatever, all the way to the un, almost unspeakable loss of losing a loved one or going through um, divorce, being betrayed by someone that you love. And uh, in the theme of emotionally uh, becoming mature, um, how we deal with all of that across the spectrum matters. Um, if you obviously have read um, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality or Discipleship or Leadership, um, you'll, you'll know that Pete Schizero speaks quite often about just the reality of these things being ultimate limits and that in our culture, we just don't cope with limits. Um, and, and I have to say, for the majority of my Christian life, um, uh, I you know, became a Christian when I was 19, I, I really had the idea that life, especially as a Christian, um, was meant to just grow from strength to strength. And in any kind of difficulty um, would just be kind of met with a tip of the hat. Yep, 
It's a challenge, but hey, we're on our way to heaven. And so we can just not talk about those things and certainly not make a big deal of things because we've got bigger and better things as God builds his kingdom, the bigger and better and you know more fantastic. Um, uh, and then life just has a way of, of knocking the edges off of that. Um, I think, I think what that produced in me was, uh, was exactly what <laughs> Pete Scazzaro would say in his book around my unwillingness to deal honestly with the challenges, not just that I was facing, but actually the capacity to be empathetic or compassionate towards people that were facing difficulties. It just was like, it was, it was pathetic. Um, just a, I, I suppose a bit of a um, bit of a way of in, information. One of the one of the more kind of significant events in my family's life was um, that kind of really began to force me to think of what I think about this was um, the the unexpected murder of my wife's sister, which happened uh, nearly twelve years ago. Um, and even as I say that, I I. I can see the very moment when we got that news and watching my wife and then uh, who she herself had actually faced incredible um, pain and trauma already. Um, but over the last 10 years, working out 12 years, what what does that mean for, well, where was God in that? And, um, or for, I think a, a, a lot of the time I was thinking, how do I quickly get to the silver lining? The silver lining of this story. Um, the, the, in a sense, maybe even the, the, the curse of being asked to speak in churches made me think, oh, this is going to be a good sermon one day. And, um, and, and I, and I want to just, I think that something that's just kind of arrived for me this week is as I've prepared this. Um, the gospel is incredible news and and the gospel is you know the good news that Jesus takes our sin and failings and brokenness upon himself and carries that so that we receive the life we can't lead live um, the death that we deserve and and it's this miraculous exchange where we all of a sudden are reconciled because of what he's done with God. And it's the best news ever. Like, I don't ever want to minimize that. But somehow, whether it's Western culture or whatever, I also hitched on to that, the idea that I'm going to have it pretty easy because he's taken the difficult things on himself. And therefore, I'm just going to just be kind of cruise through life. And especially as a Christian, you know, I'll just learn to pray about the hard things and, and, I still think that there's some something like that in me. And so when Andrew uh, gave me the opportunity to, 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 pre, pre, to really kind of sit in the text for today, it has just struck me anew, like afresh, like actually this, this person, Jesus, that I claim to follow is still incredibly divisive. He, he still challenges me at the deepest part of who I am as a human being. Um, and he doesn't do that through like an ideology. Like, here you go. Do, 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 do. He actually he presents himself. And it's incredible that we have 
his words in the scriptures. And we can see him react to um, moments of incredible pain. And, uh, and so with, with that, I thought we would just dive right into to Matthew 26. Um, so I'll share my screen in a minute, but I, I thought I would just, uh, as, a, as a way of kind of framing, framing this, um, this is at the, the end of Matthew's gospel. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And at the end of Matthew, just even, which only goes for 28 chapters, it's, this is, this is right at the, the sticking point of where Jesus is, his humanity and his divinity are just on full display. You, you almost see it, see it all. So we're only going to read just a, a section of Matthew 26, but just in the chapter itself, you have, you have everything from Jesus being anointed but, um, in, in Bethany, and he tells his disciples, this is to, this is my burial ointment, you know? So he's, he's not, un, he's not, you know, unclear about what, where he's going. He knows that he's going to the cross. Um, Judas decides in this chapter to betray Jesus, um, and, and he does it, and it all it all happens. And, and where we're going to pick it up is actually when Jesus intentionally goes to a place place called Gethsemane, which is a, a garden. That's an olive garden. In fact, Gethsemane means oil press. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the place where he is um, is defined as the place where Oil is made from crushing olives. I think we see in his humanity um, him under incredible pressure. And in fact, um, there's no shortage of theology that actually minimizes this part of Jesus's story. Um, one uh, theologian, Origen, actually said, uh, look, he was just be beginning to, to experience pain and suffering. He didn't go all the way because he was God. Um, now that that that's been dis, uh, dismissed as heresy now, but what we see is um, Jesus in in absolute reality, in touch with the reality of his fear, of his pain, of his suffering, and so there in the comfort of our living rooms and here, can we can we read this together? And and I just I just um, encourage you to think about what you see him doing, what you see, how you see Jesus reacting, and, and perhaps how it makes you feel. All right, so I'm going to try and share my screen if that, if that works. Please holler if for some reason it's not working. Thumbs up. All right, great, awesome. Um, so this is that's the uh, the text is sorry. Let me... All right, so the the, the text is uh, Matthew chapter twenty six verses thirty six to forty four. Um, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them. Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He then said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found that he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Um, I'll just stop sharing for just a minute here. All right. All right. If uh, if you guys are familiar with um, the, the this chapter in Larger Soul through Pain and Loss by Pete Scazzaro, you'll you'll know that there are a few um, kind of steps that he kind of talk talks about, and I and I I just want to say on the outset, um, I think they're they're brilliant steps. It's it's one of the things that I'm I want to speak about this morning. But um, I'm so struck by the honesty. Um, and pain expressed in this, um, and we know the story, right? We are we we know if you've read the scriptures, if you've been say a Christian for any kind of length of time, you'll know that yeah, this is this is a, a, a significant, but uh, you know, one part of a story where Jesus dies and then then he's resurrected, and that's what we're going to focus on, and. Um, and and that's true as a central part of the Christian story is in fact that life uh, and death lead to resurrection, and that's exemplified in Jesus. In fact, in the rest of the the, the New Testament, Paul particularly takes uh, painful stakes to explain that it's actually that Jesus was a model, and that we too, those who believe in Jesus, uh, will be resurrected as well. That, now that's amazing news, um, but that's not going to happen for a while. And in the meantime, we live in a um, a fallen and broken and corrupt world. And uh, and and Christians kind of use those words like yeah yeah yeah. So it's a fallen world, and so you know don't get too upset when things go wrong. But actually, they they are really important for us to help us see reality. The same kind of reality that Jesus speaks about in his passages. And he says, my, I am totally overwhelmed to the point of death. Now, I, I don't know about you, but for, for me, I need people, particularly when I'm wrestling and, and, and struggling. Um, I've faced, I suppose, enough kind of closures and boundaries of good things in my life where I've wrestled and gone, whoa, I don't want this to end. What am I going to do with this? And I've needed the language of those around me that have journeyed actually through incredible loss to help me to um, 
not just process, but face reality full on. One of, um, uh, and this might be for uh, someone that you know, or, or perhaps yourself who's gone through the incredible loss of, of a loved one, a child, a spouse, um, a, a brother or sister or a parent. Um, I, I want to commend this book to you by Nicholas Wolstersdorf. It's called Lament for a Son. Um, it is one of the most beautiful books written on grief that I have ever read. And I'd, I'd like to uh, read the preface, if I may, for you, um, because what I'm aware of is that f- our first step, if we're going to if we're going to process grief and pain, not just to enlarge our soul, but actually to grow more into the people that God is wanting to, f- to, to uh, and character that God's wanting to fashion in us, we've got to pay attention. And so if you will, uh, let me read what Nicholas writes. I wrote the following more than 12 years ago to honor our son and brother, Eric who died in a mountain climbing accident in Austria in his 25th year, and to voice my grief. Though it is intensely personal, I decided to publish it in the hope that that some of those who sit beside us on the morning bench for children would find my words giving voice to their own honoring and grieving. What I have learned to my surprise is that it's particularly there they're in universally. Many who have lost children have written to me, but many who have lost other relatives have also done so as well, along with many who have experienced loss in forms other than the death of relatives or friends. The sharply particular words of lament, so I have learned, give voice to the pain of many forms of loss. Rather often I am asked whether the grief remains as intense as as it was when I wrote, and the answer is no. The wound is no longer raw, but it has not disappeared. That is as it should be. If he was worth loving, he is worth grieving over. Grief is existential testimony to the worth of the loved one. That worth abides. So I own my grief. I do not try to put it behind me or get over it or forget it. I do not try to disown it if someone asks. Who are you? Tell me about yourself. I say, I'm not, not immediately, but shortly, I am the one who has lost a son. That loss determines my identity. Not all of my identity, but much of it. It belongs within my story. I struggle indeed to go beyond merely owning my merely owning my grief toward owning it redemptively. But I will not, and I cannot disown it. I shall remember Eric, and lament is a part of my life. A friend told me that he had be, he had given copies of lament to his children. Why did you do that? I asked him. Because it is a love song, he said. That took me aback. But yes, it is a love song, for every lament is a love song. Will love songs one day no longer be laments? Uh, 
I, when I was reading that this week, I it, it occurred to me that when before I was uh, before I decided that I wanted to believe in Jesus, um, which was a, a while ago, I I studied Buddhism for a little while, and um, one of the things that Buddhism taught, which at the time I thought was brilliant, but now I wonder how anyone could could think about it in this way, was that the all of the suffering in my life was because I didn't want there to be suffering. Um, that if I could simply relinquish my hope of not suffering, that I wouldn't suffer. Now, I know that there's way more to it than that. And please don't, uh, in my little pithy kind of summary of Buddhism, I'm not throwing the whole thing out. There's some great stuff in there. But what, what struck me about meeting Jesus was that he passionately cared and loved and the result of that love was pain. That pain was a massive part of Jesus's earthly life. And I don't know if you, you see it here in the text that, that we read. Um, I don't, in my mind, reading that text, Jesus had kind of brought his disciples to Gethsemane and then left them all in a corner while he went off at great distance to pray. But that's that's not that's not what is a part of this passage that we just read. It's actually I don't know if you picked it up, but he actually puts the rest of the disciples over to pray, and then he he, he asks Peter and the sons of Zebedee to walk with him, and he's actually speaking to them and saying, "My soul is totally overwhelmed." This is, I mean, you know, Orthodox Christians for centuries have have put a lot on the divinity of Jesus. Uh, and by the way, I do too. I think he's God with flesh on. But this is God with flesh on saying, my soul is at the point of death. And in part, it's because of the cross that he knows he is about to take up. But I don't know if you see the language here. It's also because his friends have abandoned him. Like he's not okay with that. He's, he's, he's lamenting that they have decided to take a nap when he's asked them to carry his burden with him. That, like, that means a lot to me. You know, stuff goes wrong in our, our lives, and our reaction is because those things matter. I don't know if you've... Uh, read much of C.S. Lewis, but uh, he he contends, he says, do you, do you want to protect yourself? Then just love nothing. Love nothing. That way, you'll never be disappointed. And your heart will grow small and withered and black. And it does, it won't end well, but you won't be hurt. Our Our pain as as was suggested by Walter Brueggemann, is because we love dearly. And we love, you know, all the wrong things as well. Uh, disordered loves. Loves put in a direction that don't deserve our allegiance. And in fact, sometimes that's um, that's why we behave so badly, right? We're, we come up against limits in our lives and, and disappointments, dreams that have died, um, and and we we react, don't we? And and the reality is is that 
we will, in fact, all lose everything. And I don't mean this as some like, oh, well, let's just get really, you know, existential and, and, and talk about the sadness of, of life. The reality, and so few want to hear this, is that we will die and everyone we know and love will die. We will lose everything. Most of us will lose it slowly. Our health, our youth. Um, I'm not always going to be this good looking and Andrew isn't either. The, the, the point is, is that these kind of encroaching limits, they're a part of our fallen world. Uh, not only is my friend going to have to deal with a, a brain tumor, but, but my mom, uh, who has for my whole life been a source of strength and independence and watch out because I will destroy anyone in my way, kind of mom, um, she, she's wrestling with health issues that are making her more and more noticeably weak. And it's freaking me out. I am coming to terms with what it means to not have a mom that does everything that she wants to do. How, how about you? You know, uh, I don't know how often you, uh, you take a look, perhaps if you're in the middle of, of the emotionally healthy uh, course, you've, you've read, um, you know, the interpretation guide of, of levels of emotional maturity. This is frightening stuff for me. <laughs> I don't know if it is for you, but I, I, on any given day, I will gladly just, or not gladly, but so clearly be in that emotional infancy stage where um, I look to other people to take care of me emotionally and spiritually without taking responsibility for myself. Um, I have difficulties describing my feelings. Um, I'm quick to desire instant gratification and then blame others when they don't meet my needs. Like, hello, isn't that all of us, right? But if if we believe that God wants us on a journey to emotional maturity, where, as I think it's so insightfully spoken of here, that I'm able to accurately self-assess my limits and strengths. I'm deeply convinced that I'm loved by God, even in my weakness, right? That I don't have to look to others to tell me that I'm okay. I'm able to integrate doing for God with being with him. That's, that's his goal too. That's his goal too. Uh, and the beauty is, is that Aside from, he doesn't give us like a, just this framework that says, hey, this is how you be emotionally mature. He gives himself. He says, come, come on a journey with me and I will show you this. And so really just, just quickly, I, I want to just expound in the way that the three areas that Pete Scazzera kind of talks about in his book have been really helpful for me. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll just share this again. Um, he talks often uh, about paying attention. So when you uh, are reacting or responding in ways, are you aware of what pain and loss are doing to you? Uh, are, are you reacting in ways that are actually really damaging without seeing your, your own soul? We're so quick to want to get out of um, 
of taking responsibility. Uh, and I, I am just aware that I am not paying attention to myself so often. Um, so can someone just, I've, I've just lost view. Can someone just tell me if you've, you are looking at my uh, PowerPoint right now? You'll just have to give me a noise that indicates it because I can't see anyone's face. says pay attention. Pay attention. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I needed to know. Um, if, if we don't pay attention, um, what I'm convinced of is that our, uh, our ability to express uh, the, the pain of facing reality just gets pushed down. And inevitably, um, it, it comes up in other ways that are um, that are potentially really quite damaging and stop others from being able to look honestly at their own lives and frustrations and pain. So we're we're denying things, we're minimizing, or we're we're blaming others, uh, we're over spiritualizing, uh, or just rationalizing things away. And it's, and it's actually when we pay attention that we are able to take a step back and say, ooh, God help me to, to process the bumping up against the limits as something that you want to use to teach me and show me something. And then the, the second bit, and I, I often think of, of, the disciples when Jesus died. Um, if you know the beautiful story in, at the end of John where, where Jesus' disciples are on the road to Emmaus and they're talking about the pain that they are in, the hope that they'd placed in this Messiah and the pain that they are in now that he has died. It's like, it's the, you know, it's in the story, it's not Saturday, but it's, it's, it's them waiting in the confusing in-between. And I don't know about you, but um, if you go back to the, you know, the death and resurrection of Jesus, di Jesus dies on a Friday. I wonder what it was like on that Saturday. Those hours in between the death and resurrection of Jesus that meant that um, they were they were in utter confusion about what to do. Where was their hope going to be? And they were forced, as we all are, to, to wait. And this is actually just one of the most anti-cultural things that we can do. It's such a countercultural thing to say, I'm not going to try to solve this because in part I can't, but I'm going to wait on God. In fact, I would say that's probably one of the most radical things that a follower of Jesus can do is to wait and just see what comes. This last uh, just you know section of or, or or point that Pete makes in his book is that to let the old birth the new. You know it's an, it's entirely possible that that the pain that we refuse to deal with just stays in our hearts and minds and souls until we are ready. You know, and there's lots of biblical metaphors out there, like the fact that the Israelites wandered around in the desert for forty years just because they weren't willing to trust God and do what he said. 
And I, and I, I guess for, for me, and I'll, I guess I want to leave you guys with this as I come to the, at the end is um, we can trust that God will bring resurrection in his timing. And sometimes that timing, and most of the time that timing is years, years uh, more than we want. But our ability to trust God in the pain will absolutely deepen our souls. But more than that, we'll learn about God and ourselves in ways that we would never otherwise know. And that's that's actually the resurrection. <laughs> um, not just a, a, a physical bodily resurrection, um, you know, in the future, but actually what God wants to resurrect in our own lives that is redemptive and restorative and actually for others. And uh, I mean, I, I do hate that that phrase, you know, things like, oh, you know, all things happen for a reason or, you know, pithy phrases that I think often Christians say without thinking. But it's still true that actually whatever processing God is leading us through isn't just for ourselves. If if through Jesus we are what the New Testament refers to as reconciled reconcilers, then whatever it is that we are facing is actually for the benefit of others that will come after us. Now, uh, I know that you typically would go into kind of uh, breakout groups. And so what I want to do is just leave you with this. And whether you begin this, because this is a bit of a tool, uh, now with, with the, the people in your breakout group, or, um, or you take away and you do on your own, can I encourage this kind of activity? It's, it's not too dissimilar to what Andrew and I get an opportunity to do in our spiritual formation retreats, but to give space and time for you to look back uh, in your life and ask some, some pretty poignant questions. I don't know if you can see this here, this says two, choose two or three age ranges of your life and write down your significant losses during those years. Where did you experience disappointments? And importantly, what, what was your response to that? And if, if nothing else, this is, um, well, hopefully fodder for some really good conversation over time uh, with people that you trust and, and are able to, to journey with yourselves. So um, I'll just stop sharing that. I can send that bit to Andrew. Um, I'm conscious that I've said a lot and um, perhaps um, there's been parts of it that are perhaps directly applicable to whatever season of life you're in. But I'd like to pray for you now as you go into those groups and um, maybe it's something that uh, that is life-giving for you in the long run. Let me pray. <clears throat> 